Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. 
Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Speaking to this mic? I can go either way. Which one do you want? It's good to be with you this morning to, uh, to open God's Word, uh, to worship with you. Uh, this church is an encouragement uh, to my church, to Redeemer, as we watch you continue to, to grow and to, to prosper in the Lord is blessing. Um, you're an encouragement to a lot of people. Don't think you're not. Uh, there's the Lord is at work here, and it's great to see uh, to see Him grow this church. We're looking at Psalm 107 this morning, rather long Psalm. Uh, I can't go into every little point, so I encourage you later today to maybe take some of the thoughts from this sermon uh, and read through it yourself, uh, and be blessed by what the Lord is telling us. I want you to imagine something with me for for a moment. Pretend that you're at a wedding. And this happens. The mother of the bride excused herself at the reception to go to the restroom. She glanced back over her shoulder to see her beautiful daughter, the bride, dancing with her new husband. She entered the toilet unaware of the chaos that would follow. You see, a moment later, the groom accidentally stepped on the bride's dress, causing her to lose her balance. She stepped back, trying to remain upright, and when she did, she bumped into her brother, who was also dancing. He lurched to the right and careened into a waiter, carrying a tray full of champagne. The tray and the waiter was carrying the tray. The waiter was carrying left his hand and landed on a table full of guests splashing all over them. I'm making this up so you can laugh if you want. It really didn't happen, but you may have been waiting. The train the waiter landed on a table full of guests, splashing all over them. One of the guests who was running to help slipped on the champagne on the floor and slid all the way into the long table holding afternoon tea. Food, drink, dessert, nibbles, everything went flying all over onto the floor. Two more guests went down in the commotion, and the mother of the bride emerged from the toilet and gazed in horror at the chaos that was on display before her. She was bewildered. Only moments before, all had been wonderful and perfect. What happened? She thought. Sometimes we think our lives are like this, don't we? We're going along well and suddenly it just, it just all falls apart. In the midst of trials and situations, Sometimes we can come to our wits end wondering, what's going on? Where is God? Why is this happening? Everything seems to have fallen into chaos. What's going on? Where is our God? Does he really care for me? Does he love me? What's happening in my life right now? As we look at Psalm 107 this morning, it's a, it's a psalm of God's deliverance. It's a psalm that tells us God cares for us. God cares for his people. He cares for your needs. 
He is right there. It's a celebration of deliverance, that God cares for the perils of his people. Certainly there are parts of this in almost every part. We can, we can relate to Israel, to parts of her struggle. You'll be reminded of that as we, as we go through. Uh, this psalm is the first of the last book of, in book five of the psalms. It's building towards the psalms of ascent, which, which everyone would have sung when they were going to the temple. Starts out, they need to be reminded of how God delivers them and how he, he saves them. Many of the events, again, are tied to the Exodus or to the Babylonian captivity. Uh, but I don't want us to go too far into that. Because I don't want you to miss what God has to say to you. Because each of you are in this psalm somewhere. Each of you and me, we're in this psalm. You're here. You're going to see yourself in one of these situations that we will go through. You have been or you're right now in one of these situations or you will be. Perhaps life is going great and it's wonderful and you just need to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But perhaps there's struggles, perhaps there's trials, perhaps you're not quite sure going on. Perhaps your life's fallen into chaos. You're not quite sure where you are right now. But God is there and that's what he wants to show us through this song. It's a brilliant song. It's a brilliant song. You, the, the writer took time. You, you feel it. You feel this psalm as you read it and as you read it slowly, as you think about it, as you ponder it, as the writer tells us in the last verse. And in that last verse, he tells us, let one who wants to be wise ponder these things. So as we go through this, let's think about them. Let's be wise. Let's gain wisdom for what the Lord has to tell us this morning as we look at the loving deeds of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, as we go through this psalm, we would come before you and thank you that this is the word of God. We thank you for your word that it, as it was read moments ago, it ministered to us. And as we go through it, O oh Lord, help us to take it to heart, for this is the living word, and it changes us. In Christ's name, O oh Lord. Each of us are in this psalm somewhere, and you're in the first few verses. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. We begin to think upon that. The Lord is good. His love endures forever. This is Yahweh's steadfast love, his covenant love, his love that cannot change, his love for you that cannot change. Imagine that. We, we seek to love perfectly, but we fall short. I love my wife. I love her a whole lot. But I don't come close to loving her perfectly, and she'll tell you that. I don't come close to that, but God loves us perfectly. And God loves you because his love is steadfast. It can never change. No matter what you did last night, no matter what you did last week, no matter what you may have thought this morning, God's love for you has not changed. It cannot change because it's a steadfast covenant love that he has for us. He says, Let not the redeemed tell their story, and the stories will be in here, whom he has gathered from the east and the west and north and the south. That's us. Here we are. Here we are, the redeemed. What does it mean to be redeemed? Someone stepped into your life and did something to save you. And here we are, look around. All of us gathered from the east and west, north and south. Even Americans are down here. God even works there. But we're gathered. Here we are. We're in this psalm. This psalm is for us. We're the redeemed. Let them say so. Let them praise the Lord. Let them be thankful for this. And then the psalmist moves into the illustrations. First we have some travelers in verses 4 through 9 that are lost. I'm not going to reread 
the verses, but I'll try to summarize some of them. They were lost. They were lost in the desert. There was no city. There was no home. There was no hope. And they were about to faint. They were falling out all over the place. We're not told that they did anything wrong. Maybe they just got lost. Maybe they just got lost. But they ended up this way. And Israel would have certainly identified with them that they had no home. They had no place. Some of you know what it's like to have no home, to have no place. Because we all need a place. We all need a home. We need something. We need to be secure. We need a place where we can go. We need a home. But they didn't. And this is also a description of what? Of the lost soul. Of a person who's lost. They're wandering. They're looking for refreshment. They're hungry for something. They may not know what, but they don't have a home either. The lost person. They're empty. They're losing hope. Perhaps this was you. Perhaps this was you before you were saved, before you came to know the Lord. And then what did they do? They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And then he led them by a straight way. So they were wandering, they were lost, and now they're led. The contrast is there. And they're led by the Lord. He leads them in a straight way. To where? To a city. To a city. They had nothing. And now they've got a place. They've got a city where they can prosper, where they can grow, where they can be provided for. They're firm foundations, and they've been delivered from their distress. Now they have a place of security and provision. Why? Because of God's steadfast love. Because of God's steadfast love. And we thank him, they thank him for it in verses 8 and 9. So this first group of people, they've gone from destitute and desperate, and now they have a home. Now they have a home. The second illustration of those who should praise the Lord of the redeemed, those who are lost in darkness. What's the trouble? It says they sit and they dwell in darkness and the deep shadow of death. The writer wants us to feel that. They deal in the, in the deep shadow and the darkness of death. I learned something the other day. I re- was reading that at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, in America, they created, they've created the blackest black in the world. I didn't know there were degrees of black, but if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, but there are different degrees of black, but there's a scale that they go to. It's got a special name and somebody spent a lot of money trying to do this. But anyway, they created a material that absorbs 99.995% of all the light that is shined at it. It's dark and it's black. That's what the writer is illustrating for us here. This person is, they're in darkness. They're in darkness, they're in despair. They're suffering and they're prisoners for rebelling against the Lord and against God's command. They're suffering, they're in darkness. They're away from the Lord. Certainly because of their rebellion and the, the Israelites would have thought perhaps to the book of Judges that every time they rebelled, what happened? Not good things happened. They rebelled against the Lord and he cast them into, made them prisoners. Made them prisoners. They were in and the Babylon captivity. They would have thought about it. Why? Because they said what? No, we're going to do it. We're not going to do it your way, Lord. We're going to do it our way. We'll do it our way. And so they ended up in darkness and despair. Discouragement. Because it never goes well when you ignore God. It never goes well when we ignore God. Yet 
Sin tells us just the opposite. It'll be fun, it'll be great, it'll be good. But it just never goes well when we ignore God's ways, and that's what this person has done. Sin traps us and binds us. And it says in here, there's a, even the writer wants you to get, no, it, it, he's, it's dark, it's black, there's darkness. But then he says, and there was no one to help. And there was no one to help. The utter despair that this person is in. There was none to help. Where's the hope in this passage? Well, in verse 10, who bowed him down? Who bowed this person? It says God bowed this person down. God bowed this person down. It's God's heavy hand. God's heavy hand is upon this person doing what? Bringing them to repentance. Bringing them back to the Lord. Bringing them to know him. Because God's hand can be heavy on us, but it's for a reason. The Lord's hand can be heavy upon us, but it's for a reason to bring us to a point of repentance. The pain may be great, but it's really an act of, of mercy. Remember the prodigal son? There he was standing in this slop, standing in the heap, in the heap of the pigsty. And the Lord had done what? He brought him down and down and down and down and down. It got worse and worse until it almost can't get any worse. But then what happened? Then what did he do? He remembered something. I've got a father. I've got a father. I'm going to go home. He remembered that. The Lord brought into that. Sometimes God's hand is heavy upon us. But he wants to bring us to the point where we remember, I've got a dad. I've got a father. I've got someone who looks after me. I'll turn back to him. They cried out in what? In all of these passages. They cried out. And the Lord delivered them. The Lord delivered them. They just cried out. They didn't do anything. They just cried out and the Lord delivered them out of the darkness, out of the shadow of death. He broke their chains, it says. Their sins and the strongholds were broken. And is that not that what Christ has done for us? Isn't that what the Lord did for us? He pulled us out of the darkness of our own hearts, or perhaps a dark part in our lives. And he, and he saved us and he broke the chains of sin. He broke the power of sin in your life. And he saved you and he delivered you. And he brought you into yourself. And now you're free. He broke the bondage that sin, the bonds that sin had on you. And now you're free. You're free. You're saved. Think about that for a moment, Christian. You're saved. You belong to God. You're not going to hell. That's pretty good. That's pretty exciting. What the Lord has done in our lives. He has saved you. You belong to him. You are his. You are his. Rejoice. As the psalmist said, we should rejoice in our salvation. Rejoice as much as the song that we sung this morning. So from darkness and utter despair that sin brings to what? To light, to joy, to freedom. That's us. That's us. That's you and me. The second illustration, verses 17 through 22, is similar to the previous one. Uh, this person is suffering, again, because of the effects of sin. Uh, he may or may not know the Lord. Uh, but this shows the impact of sins in the life of many. He's called foolish. He's a fool. A fool says in his heart, there is no God. A fool also says, I'm going to do it my way. Uh, I'll do it my way. But he's suffering under sin. He's suffering physically. Understand, it's destroying him. 
as sin destroys lives. Because, again, as in the previous verses, sin never delivers what it promises. Sin never delivers what it promises, does it? And we've been there. We've all tried it. And it didn't come out the way that we thought it would. Because Satan uses sin to destroy. So this person is afflicted. He's worn down. There's sickness. There's addiction. There's probably anxiety and depression. We can see it. This person's at the end of himself. It's a picture of a person without hope. A person without hope. Sin is just beating him down. It's worn him down. It's worn him out. He has no hope. And then what does he do? He cries out to the Lord. He simply cries to the Lord and he delivers him from his distress. And God heals him. And how does he heal him? He brings his word to him. That's interesting. He brings his word to him. He sends his word because medicines don't heal spiritual illnesses. God's word does. The gospel message of forgiveness and life, that has the power to change. And it's changed some of your lives. It changes us as we hear, uh, we hear the gospel, as we hear God's word. It gives us power over guilt and shame. It gives us power over guilt and shame. You know, for, for Christians, and there's shame culture, cultures and there's justice cultures. We kind of live in a mix here uh, in Australia with different cultures. It's kind of easy for Christians, for us to understand being forgiven of our guilt. Because there was this list of sins, right? This list of sins we had, and Jesus stamped on top of it, paid in full. It is finished, done. That's pretty easy for me to understand, okay, I'm forgiven and all that. But sin and guilt bring with it shame. And that's a little harder to deal with. That's hard. It took me years as a pastor to, to kind of figure that out. It's harder to deal with shame because shame says that you, when you look at yourself in the mirror, no matter how successful you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter what's going, you know, you're, you're doing everything right, you're good. But you look in the mirror and you, what do you, shame still says, looking back at your reflection says, yeah, but you're still dirt. You're still trash. You're still nothing because of what you did or because of what you've done, what was done to you. And yet Christ comes into our life and Christ looks back. He looks back at you in the mirror and says, no. No. You are mine. You are mine. I have called you. I have made you. I have changed you. You are perfect. You are righteous. You are holy. You are not a product of what you used to be. You're not that because you're mine. Because you're mine. I will take away your shame because you are mine. Taylor Swift says, who you are is not who you've been. Who you are is not who you used to be. That's a great song. <laughs> not really like Taylor Swift. But she's right. <clears throat> and she's right. Not but. We're not who we are. We're not who what we've done. We're not what was done to us. We belong to Christ. We're his. And when his word came in our life, it changed us. This psalm teaches us another thing. It teaches us, here's just a person in a horrible state, but it teaches us that no one is beyond deliverance. No one is beyond deliverance of salvation. You may have friends. 
You may have children. You may be praying for others. You're wondering, there's no way God can save them. They're just so far gone. And this psalm tells us that no one is too far gone for the word of God to save. Sure, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor, he, nor his ear too dull to hear. As we pray for other people, let's have confidence that the Lord hears and the Lord saves. Then we have deliverance from the perils of life. Our final scenario. What's the trouble? These were men who were, they were merchants, they were out on ships. And as I read this, they were just going about life. They were doing their job. They had nothing wrong. They were just going about life, doing their job, and then it, it, it all fell apart. Suddenly they're in danger, and the writer wants you to feel it, the up and the down. If you've ever been out in a, on, the, on the sea in a, in a vessel when there's a storm, you know what it feels like. But he, he wants you to, to feel that, that they're, now they're in danger, up and down. And yet they've been there before. They've been here, but now they're brought to their wit's end. Now they can't see a way out. Now their hearts are, are filled with despair. Despair, they are without hope. Their courage has melted away. Have you ever been there? Ever been there that trouble comes? Trouble comes, there's sickness or an unexpected bill, an unexpected phone call, a business deal goes wrong, friends turn on you, nothing's going right. We do live in a fallen world, don't we? And bad things happen, and bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good people. Perhaps this is you. Everything's fallen apart. Fallen apart. Yet God is in this, for he stirred up the waters. He's in control of it. He spoke, and he stirred it up. Well, they cried for deliverance. And he made the storm be still, and the waves were hushed. The, lay, way, lays were, the waves were hushed. And it was quiet. And it was peace. You feel it as you read it. There's a powerful message here in this passage that we might miss a little bit of because we're not Jewish in our thinking. The writer wants us here to see God's power over the chaos and the, and the trials of life. When the Jewish person thought of the sea and the turmoil and storms, he thought of chaos, of, of uncontrolled evil in the world. Yet the writer here, they would have picked it up, and I want us to see it too, is that there is, there is chaos in the world and there is evil in the world, yet God is in control. If you read the last few chapters of the book of Job, where evil and turmoil and chaos are personified in the behemoth and the leviathan, that no one can control, but God tells Job, but I can. I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. Evil is not running amok in this world. We think it is. We see it in our news feed. But God is in control. And he's in control of what's going on in your life. Think of the disciples in the boat out on the Sea of Galilee. Everything's going crazy. They've lost hope. Jesus simply says, be still. I've got this. And God has it in for our lives too. And then finally, verses 33 through 42, are really a poem. They're a Hebrew poem. And they're pointing out this. God has the power to change things. Things don't just happen. And if you read through there, it says, the rivers turn to a desert. Then the desert turns into pools of water. Parched land becomes springs of water. Their people are hungry. Then they have food. Fields grow. 
cities prosper, then cities fall away. Then they're diminished and brought low. Leaders are risen, leaders fall. And he's pointing out, but it doesn't all just happen. God controls this. And he gives a proverb at the end, let he who is wise consider this, to know that God is in control. God is in control of this world. What we learn from this, God saves. God saves his people. God saves you and me. God looks out for our needs. He knows them. That God is near. He's only a cry away. He's only a cry away. He's always right there. When we read Philippians 4, our famous verse, do not be anxious about everything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's a great verse. But I think we missed something because there are three words before that at the end of verse 5, at the end of verse 5 that I think make it even more powerful. Those words are, it says, the Lord is near. So let me read it now with that. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts. Because God is near. He's in the middle of everything. And God saves us because of his steadfast love. And we are a needy people. But God has looked down. He's seen our needs. And he saves us. And he cares for us. And he cares for you. And he cares for you every moment. And as we come to the table in just a moment, let us remember that. Let us remember that. That he who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us, will he not also give us all things? As you come to the table in a few minutes, remember, remember that just as God gave his son, he cares for you right now in every way. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you that you care for us. Thank you that you watch out for us. Thank you, O oh Lord, that you have delivered us out of darkness. You have delivered us from sin. You have saved us when our lives have fallen apart because you are our God and your steadfast love changes never, never, ever. Amen.